Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of The Real Question, which we are calling the Bad Chaplaincy episode. We asked you all to send in questions asking for our advice, and so that is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be responding to your questions and be doing our very best. We're calling it Bad Chaplaincy because chaplaincy is based on conversation and being together, and this obviously cannot be that, but we're really excited, and we're so grateful to all of you who sent in questions. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question with your questions, not ours. So this week we have a incredible collection of questions and I genuinely want to say how beautiful these questions are. We're only going to get through a few of them today, but hopefully we'll have another chance to look through more of them in the future because your questions are honest and vulnerable and complicated and frankly useful in my life. So I just want to listen to the questions you are all asking because I know they're going to be helpful for us too. So the way that we're going to do this is choose a question that had a theme that was very resonant among many questions. So you might hear a couple around boundaries or health, for example, because those came up a number of times. And then we're going to talk about it as if it was one of our questions. So we'll try and think about a text that we're reminded of that might help us find new insight into it. And obviously, we'll offer what we can from our experience. It's definitely not advice that we give in any sort of legal or medical way. But nonetheless, I hope it'll be useful for you to hear the question reflected on by two friends in the podcast sphere. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're calling it bad chaplaincy, not because that is our intention, but because we just want to acknowledge this is a chaplaincy-based podcast where Casper and I try to act as friends with a chaplaincy orientation towards each other in the context of the show. And as you all know from listening, like that is conversation-based and we sadly cannot have conversations with these question askers. But our advice is going to be very genuine. This is not a 
and attempted a bad advice show. You can listen to excellent bad advice shows elsewhere. We are going to maybe give bad advice, but we're going to try our very, very best. Well, let's jump in. Our first question is from Instagram. So we'll leave this one anonymous. And this is the question, Vanessa. I have gone through numerous heartaches. So many people are married and have figured it out. How do I stay confident when it feels like I will never find a partner? Ooh. There's just immediately something I want to say here. But then, <laughs> can I say, come out strong and then we have a conversation? Okay, great. Yeah. So I felt this way. I was like 31 and I, you know, was like, I think I'm going to die alone. And my favorite cousin, Nitsan, and I were talking. And after we hung up the phone, she sent me an email and it was a three-line email. She's about 10 years older than I am and she is happily married. And she said, you know, Vanessa, I remember this exact feeling. And I know you don't believe this, but I want you to believe in me. I promise you, you will find someone. And so what I want you to do is have fun in the meantime. She was like, you just have to believe me, but have a good time. Like you're going to spend most of your life with this person when you find them. And so please enjoy your single them. And what I did was book a trip to Rome <gasps> with my friend Juliet, right? I was like, Yes. And that just like really did get me through. And so that is my like gut advice is like, you might not have faith in the world, but have faith in me. I promise you will find someone and just like try to try to believe that and have fun in the meantime. But I also we need to spend some time like acknowledging the heartache of this and all of that. I love that. Have fun in the meantime, though. Yeah. My colleague Sue always says, and it is a mean time. <laughs> Isn't that good? I love that. We're in the middle of the meantime. Exactly. Like, these are mean times. I mean, right? It's John Lennon, right? Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans to bring mm -hmm. in a text of, like, this is your life. Your life doesn't get realer when you're in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I think the joy while you're single is is so important. Which song is that in? It's Beautiful it Boy. It. It's for his son, Sean. And we can get into how problematic he was as a father. He apparently was like a decent father to Sean, but a horrible father to Julian and oh. all sorts of bad vibes. But I do love the, you know, it's just a, it's just a beautiful song about um, his love for his child, and he's giving some advice, right? Have no fear, the monster's gone. Mm. But I think that the most famous line is, before you cross the street, take my hand. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Ooh. Oh, that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I really do want this person to have complete faith that they'll find their person. But I also want them to love this moment. Life is happening. And life doesn't start happening yeah. more real when you're in a relationship. Well, that's that's where my mind went, which is like the you've got mail moment where like, you know, at the beginning of the movie, both Meg Ryan's character and Tom Hanks's character are in other relationships. And like, they're fine. You know, they're going to fundraisers for I think Romanian like authors or they're enjoying like a third typewriter that's been bought. I mean, they're, they're basically like living their life, but actually haven't found this deeper love with a partner in, in a way. And so like, th I think what I'm reminded of in this question is like that sense of cosmic loneliness that I think all of us experience sometimes, whether you're in a committed relationship with a partner or not. And 
yeah, maybe to bring in another singer, Jens Lekman has this great song, the Swedish kind of pop singer. He's like, whether you marry or not, either way, you wish you hadn't. <laughs> yeah. I just love that so much because it's like, listen, life is going to be hard and you're always going to look at what you don't have and, and want that. At the same time, I don't want to undo the genuine longing in this question, which I think is really beautiful. And so, yeah, I, I guess it's just one of those situations where it's like, yes, every every situation has its own flavor of challenge. But as you said, like, try and enjoy what is real in this moment. And, you know, chances are that you living a life that you're enjoying will also mean that you're meeting more people or that you're sending out kind of good vibes into the world that people are attracted to and want to be around. I think that's really wise. I also think like there is a problem with society that we think that marriage or long-term committed romantic relationships are the only way to create I agree. a family. Because like I just want to admit, right, like I feel much more secure now that I'm in a relationship with Peter financially, right, like health-wise, like I just have someone whose like moral obligation is to have my back. And that does. It makes the world less scary. But I just don't think that that should be about romantic partnership. Friendships can be genuine partnerships. And often the people who make me feel cosmically not alone are friends, right? Like Peter is my home, but he's like really, really not my everything. Totally. And I just, I wish that society acknowledged that. I wish, like I, you can marry a friend so that legally you have all of those rights, but like that's not a socially acceptable thing. I really hope that in the future as so many identities become more fluid, that relationships also become more fluid. I'm so interested in this idea because we have a very limited set of legal categories that recognize very meaningful relationships. Like one of the things I love learning about when I was writing my newsletter last year was in 1391, Sir William Neville and Sir John Clanvow were buried together under a shared tombstone and they lie facing each other as a married couple were. Mm. And they were, as the category was known at the time, sworn brothers, where people, two men in this case, swore their true love and brotherhood for each other in public. And it was like this kind of nightly commitment to one another. And it was recognized, right? It had implications like you could be buried together in this very public way. And like, we don't have an equivalent today where you get visitation rights, right? If you're someone's best friend, or if you're someone's like long-term roommate, or if you're you know, even like cousins who are really close don't get the same treatment as siblings. Like we just have this very limited understanding of where committed relationships can happen. And I think we're all poorer for it. And I even feel this as a, a married couple, like this is the ultimate legal standing, but there's nothing beyond that, right? Like what would it look like to live in a shared house with two other couples? Like, could that be some sort of family unit under the law. There are so many bigger, like, real questions open in this question because it's really about, like, the pathways of relationship are limited in our culture. And it means that everyone loses. Like, why can't we have a much more expansive understanding of what it means to love and commit to one another? I think we'd all be better for it. Yeah. There were a couple of years when I was living in New York and I was single and I worked with two women who became two of my best friends, Dana and Jen. Mm. And all three of us were single, and I can't tell you how not lonely we were. <laughs> like, yeah. I, none of us right. dated, really. Like, we had crushes, kind of. But, like, we would work together 
all week and then Friday night we would go out for margaritas in a movie and Jen would fall asleep it. in the movie, right? Like, <laughs> and it was just like, we were just together all the time and they were, yeah. like they were my primary partners. My mom would come to visit and the four of us would go out, right? Like my mom had to see my two partners and like, yeah. and we celebrated Valentine's together. And I mean, it was just such a beautiful, special moment and those relationships have lasted, but now we've just like, all gone off to our romantic partnerships and it's so much more boring. (laughs) But also, like, I just really do want to acknowledge, like, romantic relationships in the best form, like, can be different, right? Like, this loneliness is is real. Part of it is this, like, bullshit Cinderella, you know, just, like, raised to disney that a happy ending means romantic love and... You know, like part of it is that obviously I want to complicate that narrative because I love romance novels. God, we could just talk about this for freaking ever. But like also this yearning to have like a real partner who you go to bed with every night and have a romantic element with and right. Like that is a real yearning. Yeah. And there is nothing better than snuggles when you wake up in the morning. Like, I mean, that's very real. Yeah. So I think to try to sum up our answer to this Instagram question, have faith that you will find someone if that's something that matters to you. Have fun in the meantime. Finding someone isn't the end-all be-all. In fact, we believe that other kinds of relationships are just as important and should probably have a legal framework. And like, we feel your pain and I hope you find someone. Yeah. And I feel like just to expand a little bit on that third piece, it's like, Those are friendships and relationships that you can have now, right? So if I was thinking of your cousin's email, it's like, you know, have faith that something will happen. Enjoy yourself in the meantime and like find ways to love and commit with people as friends, as family members, as neighbors and, you know, have that as part of the enjoyment, I think. Yeah, I went to Rome with Julia to visit Stephanie, two people who happen to still be in my life (laughs) a little bit, right? (laughs) Like it's not like I was like burning that. Now that I'm in a relationship, like these are two still of my absolute life partners, Julia and Stephanie. Okay, Casper, should we move on to our second question? Okay, so our second question comes from Nikita Harvey, who asks, is it okay to be late and to ask for extensions? And they comment that there was an amazing discussion on punctuality in the Discord server, which, by the way, if you join our Patreon, you can join our Discord, where there are wonderful conversations between listeners on exactly this kind of thing. So go to patreon.com forward slash the real question and <laughs> check out that little perk. So they say there was an amazing discussion on punctuality in the Discord server, and I'd love to see that expanded on the podcast. Huh. So, Vanessa, is it okay to be late or to ask for extensions? So I went through and read this Discord conversation because I read Nikita's message and I was like, no, it's never okay to be late. And Mm. it's never okay to not turn things in on time. (laughs) And like, let's judge ourselves by our second reactions, not our first. Uh Um, And so that was my first reaction. And obviously I was like, oh, that is super problematic, right? (laughs) But can I tell you more about my first reaction before I tell you about my second one? So my experience of lateness is 
that other people feel as though their time is more valuable than mine. Like, why do you think it's okay for me to be standing here? I had just as many sacrifices to make to be here on time. And then also, like, you don't know what I was counting on, right? Like, I was counting on you arriving on time or getting me that document in time because I only have one hour to do this before I start making dinner for the kids, right? So, So that is my initial reaction. And I want to tell you about my second reaction because confessing to my first reaction makes me feel so bad. But I want to hear your first reaction first. I can be Uh, patient. I mean, my initial response is it's like just a flurry of thoughts that are incoherent, honestly. Because like on the one hand, like it doesn't feel great to be the person who's late or to ask for an extension. And I have been there many times. I remember a mentor, really the first like significant adult mentor in my life when I was in my early 20s who just said to me, Casper, I'm noticing that every time we have a meeting, you're either rushed to get there just in time or you're frequently late. What's going on there? And like, it was the first time I was like, oh, I guess my system of like, oh, I'll just do this and that. And I'm also just going to run into that person and then I'll just stop by here and I'll get there just in time and it'll be fine. It was the first time consciously that I was like oh that has an impact on other people Mm -hmm. that in my little ego centered way I had not really been conscious of so I think I'm I learned the hard way that my being late had an impact on other people so I guess that's sitting front of mind but I'm curious what your second layer is because I think there's a much bigger conversation in this that we should dig into around culture and identity and like health and ability, I think as well, right? Absolutely. Like, obviously I want room for humanity to exist. And I think that what's actually at stake here is like capitalism, right? Where like every minute that someone else is late is literally costing us money, right? In Mm. childcare, in I could be working, like other people's tardiness feels high stakes. Mm. And it shouldn't be high stakes, right? Like we should be like, what a great opportunity to sit and look at a tree. And to be honest, you know, the way that other people's lateness isn't high stakes for me is that I often have a book with me. And now with cell phones, it all feels so much easier. Like if someone texted me, I'm 10 minutes late, I'll just sit on a bench and start reading. Whereas 20 years ago when someone was late and I was just like waiting for them on a street corner, it like really annoyed me. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, people get their periods at the last minute and they didn't think they would. And like that takes however many extra minutes or, right? right? Like I know for me when I was sick, I was late and canceling all the time because I thought I was going to be able to leave and I was stuck, physically unable to move. Or, you know, you're ready to hand off the baby to the babysitter or at daycare and they have an explosive diaper, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah. just... Things happen. Your kids don't want to put their shoes on. And I guess what I think is that we should all be trying our best to be on time for one another as a sign of respect. And also we should all just always be so compassionate to one another because life happens and it's actually capitalism that has made our lives so hard, right? Like I do love a plan for between three and four, but like that can only happen on a Saturday where I'm like comfortably home and it really doesn't matter to me if you arrive, you know, at three or four. I have a friend who will say that and I know what they mean is 4.30. Uh 
Oh my God, that would drive me up the wall. Honestly, it does drive me a little up the wall because like I have to do the labor of the interpretation. Yes. And I'm like, just know yourself and tell me what tell you actually me mean. Tell 4.30, right. Yeah, because that's fine. Like, I, you know, so that's my like little... <laughs> In a train conductor who's being like, no, I need to know exactly about time. My train conductor is German, uh, by the way. (laughs) All train conductors are German. But the bigger question that I think is interesting is like, what does late mean? What does on time mean? Because I even notice a difference for myself when I'm meeting someone in person and when I'm waiting for someone to show up to a Zoom call, for example. So if you haven't shown up after four minutes for a Zoom call, I'm starting to draft the email of like, hey, I'm in the Zoom room. Here's the link again, right? Like, I'm like, okay, like this person's meeting run over or something. Something is going on that means that they're later. Let me help facilitate them getting in here as soon as possible. Maybe they've lost the Zoom room, whatever. But if it's in person, right? you know, th- that is like seven, eight minutes before I start to think, huh, maybe this person doesn't know where to find me or maybe something's happened. So taking that like small example, you know, when you, when you zoom out to a cultural level, I mean, this was one of the things I really enjoyed learning about last year as well. It was like how time, like our current culture of time, just like you said, wound up with capitalism, how it was created down to the second or down to the millisecond if you go to like trading of stocks and shares now. And Olympic events. And Olympic events, right? Like that was a creation. Right. There are so many ways to cut up time, right? Why is it in hours and days there are other ways to tear up time, whether it's seasonal, whether it's um, how long it takes to travel by foot from one place to another. Like there are different ways of engaging time. And so late and on time are also totally culturally defined. And it's not necessarily that we have the best system here, right? Like, I've also really learned that my approach to managing time is by scheduling a lot, (laughs) like days, weeks, months in advance. Like, I will likely know what I'm doing exactly in three months' time already right now. And that is... It works for me, but I'm not sure it works for everyone around me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, you doing it doesn't stress me out. But I tried at some point to block every hour of my day and be like, okay, this is the time that I'm going to write my on-air opening essay. And like looking at my full calendar just stresses me out. And I'm like, nope. So I love having open chunks on my calendar and then a to-do list on the side and then looking at which of these things, like do I feel inspired to be able to conquer well in this moment, Mm. right? Like what's urgent, right? Like I have to pay people. I have to do certain things. And then what is my brain capable of right now? And like maybe I'm actually in an email frame of mind and like it's better for me to do that. But, you know, I'm thinking of books in my life like Hamnet or Jane Eyre where Mm. time was just on a different level, right? So in Hamnet, Shakespeare is an unnamed character but a main character in it. He's just a playwright (laughs) who lives in Stratford-on-Avon and goes to (laughs) London. And he tells his wife, right, like, I'll be back in four to six months. And like, that's just okay. Whereas when I leave on a business trip, I tell Peter, please pick me up at the airport at 4.30 on Thursday, right? Like, and in Jane Eyre, right, she leaves her job. She's an aunt who's dying and she tells her boss, I got to go. And he says, promise me you'll be back in a week. And she says, I can't. Like, it might be a Mm. month or two. And there was just this totally different relationship to time and part of me is like thank god you know you can now communicate 
like this is how my aunt is doing. Hopefully I'll be back in three days. But right. time was just so different. But actually now that I've given those two examples, I think the thing that matters to me is the communication, right? Mm. Like I'd be fine if somebody was like two to four weeks if I had – faith that it really was two to four weeks, right? And it's the same with your friend of like, <laughs> can we just say 4.30, right? Like honesty is really the thing that helps me. I feel like I can cope with anything if I actually know what it is. Like I don't care how late you are if you tell me you're running late because then yeah. I can start drafting the email. Then I can right. start reading. Then, right, like it is the communication aspect for me. And right, like if my husband, William Shakespeare, was like, I'll be gone four to six months, what would annoy me is if I got a letter six months in a day yeah. being like, it'll actually be another three months. Like manage my expectations so I can plan. Yeah, what would annoy me is if he came back after two and a half months and I'm still having a good time with the Baker Boy. Right. You know, I was like, you said four to six. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it really is clear communication. And Jane is so fastidious in that, right? Jane is yeah. like... I can't promise I'll be back in a week. And that's something I'm bad at because I don't like to disappoint people. Right. So I can imagine Rochester saying to me, be back in a week. And I'd be like, OK, I'll do my best and then send a letter being like, psych. But like, I love the person who will look very clearly at you and be like, I cannot promise that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for this question, Nikita. And do check out the Discord conversation, which I'm sure was much more nuanced and uh, clever than what we were able to share here. But we really love seeing listeners learn together and share perspectives and and texts that they're interested in to think about big questions. One of my favorite things, Vanessa, is hearing people starting to do these kind of conversations with their friends and yeah. being like, I brought, you know, the movie Under the Tuscan Sun and I want to talk about X. I just love that. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
Casper, should we move on to our next question, which is from Instagram? Yes. What is it? So it is a version of a question that we got a lot, which is about boundaries. So how can I tell the difference between setting boundaries and being selfish? Ooh. So the first reaction I'm having is like, what's wrong with being selfish? Like, I guess if being selfish means like taking care of yourself, if selfish means not taking into account other people's needs and feelings, obviously then it's a little bit more complicated, but that's my like first instinctual reaction. It's like, well, why are we creating this dichotomy between boundaries and being selfish? Because setting boundaries is about self-protection to some extent. And I don't think that's a bad thing, especially for people who are used to having an impulse of like making space for someone else at at their own cost. Self-sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? What's your first kind of instinct on that one? I mean, uh, this is dovetailing too well off of our last question. So it makes me wonder if this is just what's on my mind. But part of it is clear communication. And then I'm like, but no, sometimes you actually can't communicate clearly your boundaries, right? Like for real strategic reasons, for safety reasons, for all sorts of reasons. And then there's like the obvious metaphor to reach for, which is like you put on your own oxygen mask before you help someone else. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a text we could turn to with this question, and one that we have talked about a lot, namely Harry Potter. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. So I'm thinking about Dumbledore, right? Like, we've been super critical of him for a lot of the books, and, you know, maybe you love him now. Who knows? But... (laughs) (laughs) But, like, he is very boundaried in what he communicates and what he doesn't. And it's partly strategic, but I think it's also partly, like, his stunted emotional capacity or something. But, like, where is the line with him between being selfish and being boundaried? Because he is doing what he's doing and trying to defeat Voldemort. Yes, I'm sure there's some ego wrapped up in there, but he's also very conscious that no one else can take this monster down and only he can. And so he has to take that responsibility really seriously. Yeah. And I mean, one of the moments that I love Dumbledore for is this moment where he turns to Harry, I think it's at the end of book five and says, look, I should have told you everything sooner, but I loved you and I like didn't want to tell you, which I think speaks to how complicated boundaries are, right? Like even Mm -hmm. a great tactician like Dumbledore is like, I'm supposed to tell you this and I have this rule within myself, but you were only 11, you were only 12, you were only 13. I like couldn't do it. So in that context, would you say it's a bit of both in the sense that there's some selfishness that comes from love, Mm -hmm. but he's also setting this boundary. I guess maybe Dumbledore needs the same question this person is asking is like, how do I tell the difference? Right. Like, how can you recognize when it is selfishness or self-interest versus actually a responsibility of keeping a boundary? How do you know? Well, here's the thing. Boundaries are often selfish, right? Mm. There are times where boundaries are not selfish, right? You don't want to tell your children certain things because they're too young and they don't need to know. And like that is a boundary that is entirely about taking care of the other person. But boundaries are about safety often, right? Mm. And about appropriateness. And so I agree with you. I think that the problem is the word selfish here. I think maybe the way I would reframe this is – when am I setting a productive boundary that is protecting me but still allows for the other person's humanity and still allows them to be whole? And when am I shutting someone down entirely, right? Like it's about when are boundaries helpful and when are they too firm, right? Is that the question? Because aren't boundaries usually about protecting ourselves? Yeah. And boundaries often disappoint people. And I mean, I had this recently, like I have a friend who's an expert at something. 
I needed input on something they had expertise on. I asked them about it and they said, I'm really sorry. I'm actually not saying yes to anything in addition to my normal job this whole month. And, you know, they were very, very apologetic about it. And I wrote back and I was like, thank you. Good for you. There are other ways I can get this information. Like, I really respect you doing this. Because I was like, I want to affirm that boundary. Yeah. Yes, it's an inconvenience to me, but they don't owe it to me, right? Like, good for you for modeling good boundaries. Like, snaps. Snaps for you. Yeah. And so in that case, like, that is not selfish at all. Like, that was good boundaries. They were communicated clearly and lovingly. Can I tell you a messier version of that? Yeah. So somebody recently texted me, Tuesdays are my quote-unquote bad work day. I work 13 hours on Tuesdays and it's nonstop, right? Like it's just straight meetings. I get maybe a half hour break in the middle. It's really a 13 hour day, 9 a.m. till 10 p.m. nonstop meetings, which means I get up at six in order to do all the things I need to do before, right? It's just a nonstop day. And somebody texted me asking me a question that was entirely Googleable. Yeah. It like it was just straight up a Googleable question and asking for a couple of minutes on my time to hop on the phone. And it was easier for me to hop on the phone for five minutes than to respond being like, hey, actually, I don't have any time. Yeah. This is something that you can look up. Yeah. Right. And like I was investing in not not offending this person for months. Right. And I think maybe that is part of this question, right? Is like, when is it easier to just let someone cross your boundary? (laughs) Yeah. Be like, yep, I Zoom facilitate something. I put people in small groups for five minutes. I can call you for three of those five minutes, even though that is usually when I pee. Like, (laughs) I can not pee. And like, I think that that was the right strategic decision for me, right? Like, it was easier. It was just easier. I'm laughing so much because yesterday I wrote an entire email. Like there were two or three paragraphs like explaining why I was not going to do this thing. And then just before pressing send, I was like, oh, what the hell? And I deleted the whole thing and I just said, yes, fine. Like, (laughs) And I will say, like, I'm glad I did that because I think it was better. But there's a really bad rabbit hole with this where we start disrespecting ourselves, right? Like the logical conclusion to this is like, I'm just going to have sex with this person even though I don't want to because it's easier, right? Like it's easier than yelling no and right? Like this can become really degrading. Yeah. It's a dangerous road to go down. And so the stakes for this question of how do I tell the difference and like when do I know which one to choose, mm-hmm. right? Even if I'm able to tell the difference, I might still I might still make a decision like I'm just going to give this person a call because it's going to be easier. I'm trying to think, how would I know? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Some people can just do this, right? I just rewatched Fleabag season two. Literally, uh, it's always uh, a good decision. And a moment that really struck me this time is, so Fleabag's sister is named Claire. And Claire asks her husband, she says to her husband, leave me. And her husband is like, I'm absolutely not going to leave you. And they start fighting. And Fleabag is in the room. And the husband says completely reasonably to Fleabag, can you please leave us alone? And she goes, nope. And the sister is like, no, she can stay right there. And I just like, I love Mm. her so much in that moment, right? If the sister then asked her to leave, she would leave. But she was just like, nope, that's a boundary. It's not your decision. I'm going to stay here with the sister. And just the confidence of that, being in the presence of the confidence of that moment of like, you've asked for a boundary. And no, I have my own boundary. My boundary is I'm for my sister, not for you. 
bye. I just, I love it so much. (laughs) And that moment, I think importantly, comes after a brief conversation between the sisters where Fleabag says to her sister, you're in love with this other man, go chase him through the airport. And Claire says to her, no, you're the only person I run through the airport for. Mm. And right, so like between the two of them, there has been sort of a boundary conversation. And so it's not selfish when she tells the guy, nope, I'm staying. So I, I feel like maybe the answer is like, you have to know what you're for, right? Oh, I and love that. Fleabag has just articulated with her sister, I'm for her. Like, I, nothing else matters. My boundary is, is it good for Claire? If it's good for Claire, the answer is yes. And if it's bad for Claire, right? Like, and so I feel like it, this question is about, like, identity and what we stand for. Because that was a boundary that was totally selfless, right? Yeah. She's drinking champagne and enjoying watching her brother-in-law <laughs> in pain. But, like, it wasn't just about that. It was about being for her sister. I mean, Fleabag season two is so beautiful because that show is so much about boundaries. Oh, my God. Yes. Right. Fleabag's relationship with Hot Priest and Hot Priest has obviously made vows as a priest. They love one another. That's very clear by the end. And yet Hot Priest ultimately chooses his vocation rather than the love he feels for this wonderful woman who's entered into his life. And I think it's precisely what you explain, which is that he has a another experience or I don't want to say reconversion, but there's a moment of clarity for him about what he's for. Yeah. And in his language as a Catholic priest, like he is for this relationship with God that allows him to be a loving presence in the world as a priest to his congregants and the wider community. And he says this beautiful line at the, oh, I kind of don't want to say it just in case anyone hasn't watched it. You have to watch season two of Fleabag. But essentially that sense of like, you'll get over it. Yeah. You know, that boundary breaking impulse of this romantic love that he repels with great kindness. I want to add one more thing into the mix here, which is that... I just rewatched one of my favorite movies, Avalon, which is part of Barry Levinson's Baltimore series. And I'm showing them to Peter because I'm. it's about like the American kids who are the children of Jewish immigrants mm. in America. Mm. And so I'm like, do you want to understand me and my family? Let's watch these films together. And we just watched Avalon. And the beginning of the movie has these loud, annoying, frustrating scenes where it They're having Thanksgiving together, and it's the same conversation every year. We never make a toiki, and we only make a toiki because that's what they do in America, and why do we do it? And they have to put a big board on top of the table to fit everyone, and this one uncle is late, and the kids are hungry, and should we cut the turkey without him? And no, we have to wait for him. And at the end of the movie, they just like finally set a boundary. This one uncle is always late and the kids are hungry and they put up a boundary of like, we're cutting the turkey without him. This is rude. Yep. And he gets so offended that it essentially leads to the the destruction of the family. Mm. Like they stop doing Thanksgiving together and one of the shots at the end of the movie is a family of four doing Thanksgiving in front of the TV, just alone. Mm. And to me, it articulated that who I'm for is like putting up with other people's weird idiosyncrasies and letting go of some of my boundaries to have the annoying loud Thanksgiving meal, Mm. right? Like telling the kids, have a cracker. Like it really matters to this uncle that Mm. we wait for him to cut the turkey. 
And like, he's crossing my boundary by being late. He could leave earlier, right? Like, but like, I don't care because my bigger goal is to make sure we always gather. And like, that is a ton of compromises. And if that uncle wasn't late, but was like mean to one of my children, right? Then I'd be like, get out, right? Yeah. And so I think that this question of who am I for, what am I for, Mm. I do think might be at the heart with Fleabag, right? Like with all of it. Oh, that one feels really resonant in part because what I'm expecting is true in that context is that for the rest of the year, there is a relationship with this uncle that is meaningful enough. I've recently had to navigate a relationship that just hasn't been as rich as it used to be. And kind of finding an ending to a shared celebration, you know, that we would do every year. Because that fabric of relationship just hasn't been as strong. And no doubt, you know, multiple reasons for that. And part of that is me and part of that is the other person. But like... No, you're perfect. (laughs) Well, I know that's not true. But in this case, I feel relatively (laughs) okay about it, I think. But just in that sense of like, even with this uncle... Like, as you said, if there were other things that were violated, right, which was the lovingness of this family or the commitment to each other, then I'm not going to extend that grace to you, right? So, like, there's a reciprocity in these boundaries, I guess, is what I'm trying to point to. And, like, you know, break that once, okay, break it twice, now I'm getting pissed. Like, break it three times. I really have to navigate what the boundary is. And I think maybe that's one of the lessons I'm learning is that I can set a boundary that makes sense now, but it might change. And I think I've been, I've held on too much to this sense of like, oh, I finally figured it out. Now this is the rule. And it's like, ah, surprise, like life changes and the rules are probably going to have to change. Otherwise you're maintaining this boundary that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. I mean, the live question for this, for me, is one that I talk about on the podcast a lot because it's an example that I'm comfortable sharing, but is, right, I've put up a boundary with my aunt. I no longer talk to my aunt. Right. And there is a scene in Jane Eyre that I struggle with so much because Jane gets kicked out of the house by her aunt and she's eight. And she says, I will never call you aunt again. Like we are done when she leaves. And then her aunt beckons for her when her aunt Reed is on her deathbed. And Jane goes and is like, yes, Aunt Reed. And Jane talks about Mm. like, I was 10 years older and like, I learned, right? And like, I love that wisdom. But the aunt is cruel to her still. Yes. And I'm like, no, hold your boundary, right? Yeah. Like, go to someone on their deathbed, but like, you don't have to be nice about Like, I that scene is always just so hard for me to read because I'm like, no, hold your boundary. Do you think Jane would go if the aunt wasn't on her deathbed? I don't know. Maybe. I just... I get very anxious about picturing myself in that situation of my aunt reaching out to me being like, I'm sick. And I, not even I'm sick, just my aunt formally beckoning me. One of the reasons that my aunt and I never speak is because she would like the onus was always on me and the the target was always moving, right? It was like, yeah. I can't believe you didn't call me two weeks before you came home so that I could plan. I can't believe you didn't call me eight weeks, right? Like it, yeah. it was just impossible. No matter what I did, I was profoundly disappointing her and had to deal with her wrath. But the onus was always on me. So like she has never reached out. And so I wonder if she reached out, deathbed or not, and was like, I need to talk to you. Like, I think I would go, but I would be majorly on my guard. I would not go in and be like, yes, aunt, please love me. I forgive you, right? And so 
yeah, I don't know. These questions are really live questions. And even just thinking about her reaching out to me makes me anxious. I'm like, because exactly to your point, I have this very firm boundary. And the idea of life changing in a way that I would have to renegotiate that boundary, I'm like, oh, no. Right? Like sometimes those firm boundaries are sanity. Right. Right. So it feels like with this question of how can I tell the difference between selfishness and boundaries, I really love what you said about know what you're for right? What's the most important thing? And then set a boundary, but also know that it can change and not to let it blow in the wind like laundry, but at the same time, know that it can move, you know, like pegs on the laundry line with (laughs) intention. Whoa. Look at that. That was, I want you to end there, but I need to amend one thing, which it doesn't have to be that you know what you're for. It's reflect on what you're for. Mm, mm. That's good. Right? Because like you can't always know, right? But take a moment, right? Uh, my brother's late again. It really matters that we don't get the turkey without him, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and just because yeah. you can't always know ahead of time. That's fair. That's fair. Well, everyone, thank you so much for sending in these beautiful questions. We have so many more questions to get through, so we might do another one. I feel very stimulated in my own life by these questions, so I really appreciate your thoughtfulness and generosity in sharing them. We have many more, so apologies if we didn't get to yours today. We will do another one of these and and explore a few more questions together. And also feel free to email us if new questions have come to mind. You can always email us at realquestionatnotsorryproductions.com. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you have the means to help us out, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. We'll be answering one more question in a little bonus for our Patreon subscribers. So check that out if you are already a member of our Patreon. If you love the show, you can review us on iTunes and you can always follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and on Twitter at therealqpod. We're a Not Sorry production, and our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our editor this week is Molly Baxter. Our music is by Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank everyone who sent in a question. We've just loved answering them, and there are so many wonderful ones we didn't get to. We also want to thank Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of our patrons. Thank you, everyone. Hi, listeners. This is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information. And be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsoryworks.com.